Um, unfortunately, right now we can't have anybody on the access road because okay. they'll just make us come out and monitor. So, okay. Yeah. Gotcha. I'm sorry. No, 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 that's, that's okay. okay. You're listening to my first encounter with the Air Force at a nuclear missile facility. My name is Ella Weber. I'm a member of the Mandan, Hidatsa, and Arikara Nation, also known as the Three Affiliated Tribes, which is located in the Fort Berthold Indian Reservation in central North Dakota. In this podcast, I'm going to tell you about myself, my community, and our relationship with nuclear weapons. I'm 20 years old and a junior at Princeton University. You're listening to Scientific Americans, The Missiles on Our Res, a new miniseries from Science Quickly. This is Episode 1, Becoming Nuclear. I'm part of an undergraduate-directed project called Nuclear Princeton. We're driving on the Fort Berthold Reservation to look for nuclear missile silos. The people you are about to hear are my friends Lillian Fitzgerald, a member of the Klamath Tribes, and Blue Carlson, a member of the Cherokee Nation. Joshua Worth, who's native Hawaiian, is kind of observing in the back seat. We are also there with Ryo Morimoto, a Japanese anthropologist and assistant professor at Princeton. There are five of us documenting the experiences of people living near the missiles. Are we turning here? Yeah, because this is 87. Oh, wait, it's not on 87. It's oh. like right off this road. It's We have to pass it. Oh, okay. We haven't passed it, or are we? No, so we're going. We have to pass we're going straight. It. Yeah. Okay. It's right there. It's this. Yeah. It's mount. Yeah. Should be that. That little mound right there. Oh. That's it. Right there. That. That. that oh. This? Yeah. That's by the porta potties by it. Yeah. No, I need to pee. No, that's the missile side. H O nine. Oh. Oh yeah! Wow. <laughs> Our team had surveyed at least three nuclear missile silos. Because they're underground, we usually could only see a barbed wire fence with a long pole sticking out of the ground. We arrive in front of what looks like a nondescript tan house. This place is different. It sits atop miles and miles of empty prairie, blanketed in snow. An eagle even swoops overhead. It's very cinematic. I and other members of the project's research team are at Hotel One. It's this missile alert facility of the 91st Missile Wing, located between Newtown and partial North Dakota. Air Force. Yep. Yeah, he has a U.S. government plate. <laughs> Before members of the Air Force came outside, I didn't actually know what a missile alert facility was. So I turned to Wikipedia to try to understand where we were. Oh, it, it used to be known as a launch control facility. It is a soft or not able to withstand nuclear explosions. Oh God, there's ties coming out. It consists of a security control office, dining room, kitchen, oh gosh, sleeping areas there. for security forces stationed there, an occasional maintenance troop, garages for various vehicles and other facilities. I'm so distracted. I'm not paying attention to what's happening outside of the car. That's what a missile so Ella, look up. Well, that's fun. Yeah, there's two guys. One of them has a really big gun. Yeah, they both have really big guns. Rio decides to talk to the two Air Force guards. I don't want to take a picture. I'm scared. We get out of the car, too. Hi. 
Did you guys just station here? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Oh, thanks. Uh, Must be fun. Princeton University. Oh, wow. Sorry. <laughs> I was so excited. Yeah. It's pretty nice. It's pretty yeah. Nice. Yeah. So, yeah. But, yeah. We're trying to think like where to go to get food. So I mean there's a there's a place in partial that you can get food, okay. but that's probably the only place for like fifty miles. Okay, yeah. so we could get something time. before yeah. 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 Well, thank you so much. Kendra. Yeah, sorry to disrupt your day. Have a good one. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. Over the past 60 years, three generations of my people have lived with nuclear missiles on our ancestral lands. The missiles came in 1962, when my grandmothers, Deborah Malnori and Carol Schultz, were in boarding school. Where was I in 1962? I think I was at Wapton Indian School. In case you don't know, such boarding schools were founded to eliminate traditional American Indian ways of life and replace them with mainstream American culture. There were rows upon rows of beds where everybody slept. And the first night, you could hear everybody crying. Just a decade prior to the missiles being installed, the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers flooded more than a quarter of the reservation. That quarter consisted of nearly all of the agricultural land and 80% of the Fort Berthold population. Because of this, hundreds of families were forced to relocate as the water slowly crept up the valley. Homes, schools, graveyards, and churches were all flooded. With nearly all of the resources gone, many families were forced to send their kids to boarding schools. Some of the kids spoke nothing but their native tongue. And I remember the first time I seen this woman just haul off and hit this little girl. And I'm looking at her, what did she do? And you could see everybody around us, and I'm looking at my sister, and she's looking at me, and I'm going, you know, and the next one, same thing, same language, and she got hit too. That's when I realized when they said, you cannot speak your language. You must speak English. You have to fit in, you have to change. And I remember thinking, what am I gonna change into? You know, you don't know. And just barely a decade later, when families were still readjusting to this new way of life, the U.S. military installed nuclear missile silos. Sixty years later, some things have changed, but others have not. I'm at Princeton with plans to major in public policy and international affairs. Meanwhile, the silos are still on the reservation, and the U.S. Air Force plans to refurbish all of them and upload new nuclear missiles with plans to keep them operational for the next 60 years. To tell you the truth, I didn't actually know there were missiles on the reservation until about a year ago, when Rio sent me an email. Basically, he told me Princeton's program on science and global security was working on a computer model to see what communities would be impacted by fallout in a potential nuclear war. One of the identified areas was my home region. I was intrigued, so I asked for a meeting to be set up with these researchers. The first one I spoke to was Sebastian Philippe, a French scientist and research scholar at Princeton.
for the past uh, few years, I've been uh, researching the radiological consequences of nuclear weapon use and nuclear war. Sebastian had been modeling the consequences of a concerted nuclear attack on U.S. missile silos and mapping the areas that are most at risk. Yeah, so my goal is to understand the implications of nuclear weapon policy choices and identify and connect with communities that would be most impacted by these choices. What was unusual was that Sebastian had served as a nuclear weapon system safety engineer for the French government, so he knew the risks involved. And to my surprise, when he showed me his maps, the places I grew up knowing as home in Crookston, Minnesota, and in North Dakota, were in an area that was completely lit up. When I pointed to where I was from, this is what Sebastian told me. Yeah, so that dark area mm-hmm. that shows the places where people could receive several times the radiation does that result in near certain death. Oh, wow. U.S. nuclear weapons can be launched from land, sea, or air-based platforms. The U.S. military calls this the nuclear triad. I grew up 220 miles away from Minot, North Dakota, the only Air Force base to have two of the three legs of the nuclear triad. There are strategic bombers and nuclear missile silos. We just don't have submarine-based missiles, probably because Lake Kakawea isn't deep enough. For legal reasons, I'll point out that this is a joke. Anyways... Historically, they were placed there because by going over the North Pole, this was the shortest distance from the former Soviet Union. It was also chosen because the population density was much lower than, let's say, the East Coast. And should nuclear weapons and bases be targeted, fewer people would die as a result. But it also happened to be right on the Northeast segment of my tribe's reservation. So when you're planning for a nuclear war, the silos are a prime military target. Destroying them requires detonating one or two nuclear weapons at close proximity. Basically, that means U.S. adversaries are probably targeting the 150 silos armed with nuclear missiles that are located in North Dakota. As I look closer to the maps, I notice the dark plumes in central North Dakota, near where the reservation is. When we zoomed in, we realized the targets were within the Fort Berthold reservation boundaries. There are 15 nuclear missile silos within those boundaries. This changed everything for me. And so that makes us a target? Yeah, that makes you a target. I had minimal knowledge of nuclear weapons before I came to Princeton. So what Sebastian told me that day was, quite honestly, a lot to take in. There are nuclear missiles on our land. And in the event of nuclear war, My entire family would likely be dead in a month. That revelation hit me like a ton of bricks. You might also think you know how a nuclear explosion works. But let me ask Sebastian to break it down for you a little bit more. When a nuclear weapon is detonated... Five, four, three, two, one, fire. Inside of it, it starts fission chain reactions that burn through the plutonium that is in the weapon. And then also 
that energy is used to light up the secondary part or the fusion part of the weapon. So the nuclear explosion generates a gigantic fireball. And that fireball, if it interacts with the ground, it kind of suck up a ton of dirt and tiny particles that fix the radioactivity that is generated by the explosion. So all this kind of radioactive dust lift up into the air and that generates the big mushroom clouds that we see in the movies. And those, uh, those mushroom clouds, eventually they're pushed by the high altitude winds and um, the particles start falling, you know, falling back to the ground as soon as the mushroom cloud is, is created. But um, because some of those particles are lifted up so high in the atmosphere, they take they can take days to or even sometimes weeks but because they are so high in the atmosphere it can take days for them to come back and within that time frame they can travel hundreds of miles away and so really it's like in 24 hours or 48 hours uh, you can have fallout that cross the entire united states or reach well into canada or even possibly get to mexico across the border basically that's what nuclear fallout is but Sebastian wanted to tell me more about its risks. When the particles, you know, fall to the ground and people are living, you know, in those areas, they get exposed to radiation from, from what is emitted from those radioactive particles. Radiation can destroy cells, destroy your DNA. And when you get exposed to very high doses of radiation, you start seeing symptoms like people vomiting, losing their hair, internally bleeding, and, and so on. It's just really awful. I knew nuclear weapons existed, but I never really thought deeply about where they might be located, what the implications could be. But why would I? My mind was mostly preoccupied with the day-to-day -day stuff that college kids have to go through. I never really considered the possibility of war with nuclear weapons. I was shocked, to say the least. Why were there nuclear missiles on tribal land? Did my family know about this? Did they know that the Air Force was planning to put new missiles on the reservation and keep them there for the next 60 years? I had so many questions circling my head that day. I decided to go to the reservation, bring other Princeton folks with me, and meet my grandma Deborah to ask her what she knew about the silos. Like if you're going out of town here, there's one just before you hit that last hill, Going into partial, there's one on the right-hand side there. Huh. And I think there might be another one out here. I'm not sure. We had a map of all of them, but... Oh. I, yeah. It's all public knowledge where they are. Like... So where where are they? Um, Besides these two. <laughs> <laughs> Do we have the map on there? Because I know uh, I in... Um, so. I know south of partial, they had some down that way, too. But I don't know if they're still running them or not. While I had come for answers, it was I who broke the news to Deborah that there were 15 silos on the reservation. Wow, I didn't know that. I need to take notes. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Well, you're going to get hit either way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Even though she was alive when the silos arrived, she only learned about them when she came back from boarding school. Because yeah, I really didn't know anything about this stuff until I came back. Oh, I think I was out in maybe... 18, 19, 
had no clue. I know there was there were t there was some sites, but I didn't know what was in the sites. I still don't know what's in the sites. You know, I think more people ought to know about this and get more reaction from them. I, you know, this I'm shocked about this. What Deborah didn't know was that an Air Force general had come to Fort Berthold and presented a plan to modernize the missile silos. She also knew very little about what was behind the fence and under the ground and what she could do about it. So I decided I would figure this out for her, for me, and my community. And I started digging. This five-episode podcast is the result of what I found. I have to warn you, it's not a pretty story. And it begins by tackling the big question. How on earth did these nuclear missiles arrive on our land? If you are Native American, the answer probably won't surprise you. Others? Well, you should buckle up. Tune in for our next episode. After the flood came the missiles. This show was reported by me, Ella Weber, produced by Sebastian Philippe and Talika Bose, script editing by Talika Bose, post-production design and mixing by Jeff Delvisio, thanks to special advisor Rio Morimoto and Jessica Lambert, music by Epidemic Sound. I'm Ella Weber, and this was The Missiles on a Res, a special podcast collaboration from Scientific American, Princeton University's Program on Science and Global Security, Nuclear Princeton, and Columbia Journalism School.